0: Today, on episode number 431 of the Teaching in Higher Ed podcast, Community and Joy Lessons from MyFest with Bali, Mia Zamora, and Clarissa Sorensen Unruh. Welcome to this episode of Teaching in Higher Ed. I'm Bonnie Stahoviak, and this is the space where we explore the art and science of being more effective at facilitating learning. We also share ways to improve our productivity approaches so we can have more peace in our lives and be even more present for our students. It is with joy that I invite three guests back to the podcast today. And if you've been listening for a while, you know these names, even if you haven't been listening for a while. These three individuals are tremendous at building community, especially across geographic lines and across what sometimes are called mediums, which I realize is a super clumsy word, but doing it really well in in person, but also especially online. The first guest I'd like to share about is Mahabali. She's a professor of practice at the Center for Learning and Teaching at the American University in Cairo. She has a PhD in education from the University of Sheffield, United Kingdom. She's co-founder of VirtuallyConnecting.org, a grassroots Roots movement that challenges academic gatekeeping at conferences and co facilitator of Equity Unbound, an equity focused, open, connected, intercultural learning curriculum, which has also branched into academic activities. Community, continuity with care, socially just academia, a collaboration with 1HE, community building resources and MyFest, which we're going to be talking about a lot today, an innovative three-month professional learning journey. She writes and speaks frequently about social justice, critical pedagogy, and open and online education. The second guest I welcome back to teaching in higher ed is Mia Zamora, Ph.D. She's a professor of English and director of the Master's in Writing Studies program and the writing project at Keene University in Union, New Jersey, United States. Zamora is a digital humanist a connected learning advocate, and a scholar of electronic literature. She recently received the Keene University Professor of the Year Award. Dr. Zamora's commitment to equity, digital and data literacies, and intercultural understanding is clear in both her scholarship and leadership work. As a leading voice for the practice of open networked education and a winner of the Mozilla Foundation Open Leaders Award, she has co-founded several global learning networks, including Equity Unbound and Networked Narratives. In addition, she's proud to have recently co-launched Equity Unbound's Imagining a Socially Just Academia Project. And the third guest I'd like to reintroduce to you is Clarissa. She goes by Rissa Sorensen-Unruh. She has been a full-time chemistry instructor at Central New Mexico Community College in Albuquerque since 2002. She now teaches statistics as well. She's a dual-degree graduate student, master's in statistics A Ph.D. learning sciences at the University of New Mexico, where she's also listed as an adjunct faculty for chemistry and chemical biology department. Her first book, Communicating Chemistry Through Social Media, in which she's both the main editor and a chapter writer, was published by ACS Books in 2018. And she contributed a chapter, which I read, by the way, and is very good, on her experiences with ungrading in the classroom to Susan Bloom's Ungrading, Why Rating Students Undermines Learning and What to Do Instead. Rissa employs ungrading blogs and encourages open and engaged pedagogy in her classroom, mainly through critical pedagogy and active learning techniques. She embraces teaching techniques, many of which she has learned from her friends on Twitter, that promote student agency, social justice, and dynamic learning. Rissa Sorensen-Unruh, Maha Bali, and Mia Zamora, welcome back to Teaching in Higher Ed. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
1: Thanks for having us again, Bonnie.
0: As we get into today's conversation where we're looking at lessons from something called MyFest, lessons about community and joy, Maha, would you start by telling us what on earth is slash was MyFest?
1: (laughs) All right. So so MyFest stands for Mid-Year Festival. It was a three-month-long choose-your-own-learning journey journey. Recharge and Renewal Experience. So this happened in June, July, August. We called it the Mid-Year Festival because it's the middle of the year and it's summer sometimes for some people in the Northern Hemisphere and winter in the, in the Southern Hemisphere, right? And a group of us, the organizers of MyFest, realized that what educators re- need right now in this, we don't really know this is the post-pandemic or whatever time it is we're in now, What we need most more than anything else is recharge and renewal. We need community. We need joy. We need to come together and learn in ways that are different than any way we've learned before. And there was this gap, I think, in professional development that we're experiencing where we're not getting that community and joy from either the face-to-face conferences coming back or the hybrid ones or the fully digital ones. And, And this is sort of what we came up with where like, Why do we have to squeeze online conferences in two or three days and then not be able to go to work or attend to family while we're attending a conference? Why don't we spread it over three months so that people come in whenever they can? We don't have to have overlapping sessions. People aren't traveling for two days. They're online. They can come anytime. We don't have to have too many sessions in one day and create Zoom fatigue, right? So we came up with this approach and we said there would be no FOMO, no fear of missing out because we're not scheduling things at the same time. So you don't have to choose between them if the time zone obviously works out for you. And honestly, with Equity Unbound, um, you know, Mia and I over the years sort of thinking, what does the world need right now that we can offer? And honestly, it's also what we needed. Mm. I think MyFest helped me survive. These three months, it was a difficult three months, but the joy of my fest and the community and everyone who participated made it special as well. And
2: Mia, what would you like to, to add to that? Yeah, no, beautifully summed up, Maha. But I would just add that we took this renewal and recharge sensibility very seriously. And it's a part of the design, the intention, and the practices we wove throughout. And I really feel transformed by it personally, and I know that I'm not alone in that, and we hope that some of those lessons we can share with the rest of the world at this kind of urgent and, you know, kind of pivotal time in terms of thinking about higher education as we move forward.
0: Today's conversation is going to be looking with a lens of what lessons we might draw from MyFest to be able to use in learning environments. And I suspect that also we're not going to be able to move through this conversation with also what lessons we just might personally draw from it. And to that end, I'd love to have one of you share a little bit more about how you really started to notice the element of this fear of missing out, this FOMO as being an important thing to bring into a community like this.
2: I'll jump in here and just say that I think as um, educators, as learners, as people drawn to an academic orientation, very early on, we learn about evaluation, self-assessment, assessment from the institutions that we're a part of, and it drives a sense of productivity that has become, you know, the first and foremost impulse internally. The result of that Is moments of self judgment that are very difficult to manage internally. So, you know, you should be in a certain place at a certain time, or you know, you should be helping out colleagues in a certain way at certain moments. But then life gets even more complicated as we evolve as humans. We have families to attend to, you know, and in in my personal case, I have aging parents who need my attention at the same time that I have children that are just about to be launched into their own higher ed journeys, you know, a senior and a sophomore in high school this coming year. So I'm in that sandwich generation. and I know many colleagues are experiencing that as well. And all I can say is that there's something about this no FOMO kind of pronouncement and commitment that helped me recalibrate because it helped me keep at bay the piece, that internal self-judgment piece that creeps up when you feel like you should be doing just a bit more. And so many people in academia are that they are wired in a similar way as what I'm articulating. They want to do more. They want to get it right. They want to do it well. And so they either fold and don't participate in something because they feel they can't do it the right way. The perfect way, you know, is another way to put it, right? Or they do their best to sign on and then tend to feel a lot of like uh, residual complex feelings of not quite hitting the mark the way they'd like to. So I really feel like this summer was a lot of work towards dismantling that impulse internally.
0: I so appreciate Maha and Mia bringing up the elements around the feelings. And I can tell you so much as somebody who participated and continues to participate in my fest, that, that, that really drew me to it, that I could, I could engage in community without the guilt and without the shame. I'd like us to spend a few minutes thinking about how FOMO sometimes shows up in educational environments. And, and, and I would also include in that faculty development where thinking that if I can't be there, everything should be recorded, We see that all the time of like, oh, I can't be at that super intimate conversation where people are going to reveal all the challenges that they're having in very transparent and vulnerable Mm. ways. Are you going to be recording that? Uh, No, (laughs) not going to be recording that. I mean, we've had panels with people sharing about mental health challenges and we've had panels about, I mean, people disclosing things about themselves that as soon as you press record, changes that dynamic. So trying to remove that feeling of, just because everything under the world gets recorded you'll never have enough time to go back and revisit all of that so i don't mm-hmm. know if any of you have anything to add either from a class sort of dynamic you know that 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 sort of tension of wanting sometimes people wanting to or institutions wanting to record every single thing that ever happens thinking that that's the way to sort of um, address that, that dynamic or um, just anything else that you have to say about sort of the logistical side of the fear of missing out in addition to those feelings?
3: I think for me, the, the recording piece is a really important piece. And I chose not to record because I feel like it stifles conversation yeah. and discussion quite a lot. But I actually was going to say something about the logistical piece of FOMO, which is I brought up a little bit of the argument of you don't want the guilt and shame around FOMO, like that's very important to make sure that that doesn't happen. But you actually want a little bit of FOMO, yes. folks, to feel a little bit of FOMO, because other then they're like, well, I, I want to go to that, yep. <laughs> and maybe that would uh, prompt someone to say, I would like to see that again in the future. Or, I would like to have that conversation in a different way, um maybe asynchronously or uh, in another modality mm-hmm. that allows that conversation to continue with new voices. And so that was important for me to think about
0: Arissa. that is so important i'm I'm really glad that you brought it up i I tend to bring this up a lot with health oriented things. The difference between, oh, yeah, at some point today I'll go outside for a walk and me telling you at 10 a.m. today I'm going to go out for a walk. And even better if I say, can we either meet in a park and go for a walk together or can we even just call Hi. each other on the phone and be in each other's ears as we walk? We, we do that a lot with my colleagues. But I think that's such an important thing that you're stressing there, that if you don't have any sense of urgency— then a lot of the literature I've seen, then you're going to get a lot more people who just, it's a human nature thing. If there isn't that sense of urgency to be progressing through a learning experience, it really can have some, so, some significant downsides. So thanks for bringing it up. We want a little bit of FOMO, but not so much that it gets into the guilt and shame, which is not helpful. And in a teaching
1: context, it's really important. You don't want students to want to miss out on your class, right? But then it's that element of you also don't want them to be shamed or guilted if they really have circumstances that make them have to miss something. And I was thinking recently about this because for me, you understand, you want to be understanding that there may be reasons why students have to miss your class or to miss an assignment or whatever. But then you also don't want them to miss out on the learning or to feel like they can't catch up. I mean, the fear of missing out isn't just about missing out. It's the fear of never being able to catch up because you've missed out for a week or whatever. And so one of the things that I was thinking about recently is I used to have students sort of do more writing reflection on what we had done in class that they missed out on, but I realized they're missing out on a conversation. They're not just missing out on content. And so instead of asking them to just write a reflection, I was thinking of asking them to interview a couple of students who attended the class. Now, you know, normally they would say, oh, what happened in class that I missed? But I'm like, what if we formalize this? That we remind them to talk to each other about what happened in class and to have them share with each other that conversation. Then they haven't just recapped the content, but they've also listened to someone's reflection. And they're also helping the other student who was there go back and reflect and giving, you know, having this um, reciprocal responsibility for what's happening in the class. And so that's something that I think some people sort of did in my class. like someone would share the slides from the session and then someone would sort of say, oh, this is one of the things we did. You know, they—they they, not all the sessions were recorded, and for the reasons that you both said, but that could be a way to do this in a class where, if you if you teach a class like mine that's very discussion based, it doesn't make sense to record it really, uh, and there is a lot of personal sharing. But then you get that opportunity to to still get a sense of what you missed and reflect on it yourself as well, and then share back.
0: Mia, I know we've talked about FOMO at this point, and we've talked a little bit about some of the approaches used in MyFest, but I know another really key element for you and your collaborators has been around slowing down. What can you tell Mm -hmm. us about that?
2: Yeah. So the slowdown is such an important part of the MyFest values that sort of emerged. And I will link this actually in my brain when Marissa was talking about a little bit of FOMO's good. I was thinking to myself, the reason why a little bit of fear of missing out is good is because it draws us to pay attention to what What's going on within us and within the world around us? Just enough to place value on certain things and to want and desire certain things, right? So Opposed to that or intention with that might be this value of slowing down. But in the end, there is this beautiful synchronicity between the two things, because what it helps you do is refine your lens and know what you are drawn to and to pay attention more profoundly and pay heed and even prioritize the things that you think instinctually will set you on the pathway towards growth. And ultimately, what we're talking about is learning through experience, right? So, The slowing down is definitely something that I've taken away from my fest. Sort of paying attention to the rhythms that I live and think by, and even I would say activate by, like the intentions I'm taking to the work I do are a lot more, I think, action oriented or action based in the end, because I'm paying attention to the choices that I'm making, not just with I'm going to the session or not, but every aspect of how. How I move through my day with intention. So there's a lot of mindfulness, you know, like the value of being mindful behind what I'm saying, but it's certainly an important part, I think, of the recharge and the renewal. That's an important hallmark of my fest that and i think one addition is reflection you know the word reflection has come up a little bit and writing as a practice of reflection but i do think that if we don't take the time to process and reflect upon the things that have happened to us and the things that have left impact on us we lose them or they they aren't as you know kind of clear in terms of affecting how we move forward in the present And so the slowdown and intentional reflection through different practices is very much a hallmark of the things that happened in my fest.
0: We've looked at FOMO, we've looked at slowing down, and Mia, I so appreciate, because in case you can't tell this about me, I don't slow down very well, (laughs) but if you tell me that the purpose of the slowing down is to pay attention and to name and, and really know take those moments, that really resonates with me, with my personality. So I appreciate that you added that, that piece into our conversation. But I know another piece that we really want to explore here today has to do with agency. So what were some of the lessons that we can draw from MyFest around agency and learning? It's a great question.
2: I'll just start us off. I think that everybody will probably have a little to add there. But for me, I think it's about, I learned quite a bit about pacing. That agency is connected to our experience of time and our pacing through the world, as I mentioned earlier. So I felt like more significant things could come of the way I use my time and the the places in which I paid particular attention by having the chance to breathe a little and figure it out. And Bonnie, I'm absolutely like you are. Like meaning someone who books too much and has a hard time saying no, because I'm so enthusiastic about so many things and just love the invitation to join in so many things that are worthwhile. So for me, the hard thing is, you know, sort of slowing down in order to like crystallize and find that like kind of superpower with the the focus. So um, <laughs> I would say for me, one of the things I've learned about the process of learning through MyFest is this, the power of pacing in getting to where you want to be and being able to see what it is you want in the growth. I'm going to pass it to my wonderful colleagues now.
1: <laughs> the, the choose your own learning journey element, I think it's foregrounds agency, right? This is a thing. You're welcome to do whatever you want with it. Now, again, in our classes, there's usually some way in which we cannot do that, but I think there are also a lot of ways in which we can do that. There's a lot of room and a lot of, especially humanities and social science courses, where you can open that up for your students. You know, if you if you need to do something that's, for example, intergenerational, they can talk to a grandparent, they can talk to a child, you know, there's a lot of, just think about all the ways that you can give students choice. And that's also part of a trauma-aware approach, especially these days with the way that for the past two years, a lot of us have had a lot of decisions being made for us because of the health situation, because of the way governments have been dealing with it, you know, what can you put in the hands of students to make decisions about in ways that they don't feel overwhelmed by too much choice, too? You know, it's not like and, and you know, the thing is with my fest, there were no parallel sessions. Parallel sessions is decision fatigue. Like you have to choose and sometimes you have to choose really quickly and you make the wrong choice and then it's too late. And, you know, but helping, helping um, students understand the different choices. I mean, I'll give you an example of something. I already have an assignment in my digital literacies course that says, choose your digital literacies pathway. How do you want to learn about digital literacies? Do you want to learn it hands-on or do you want to learn it by reading articles or do you want to get self-paced modules? But I don't give them a chance to experience one of each first before they decide. And so some of them just get sucked into one and they don't give themselves enough time. So one of the things I'm trying to, I think I'm going to do, this coming semester, is get them started with one of each early on so that they know what it's like, and then they can choose what they want to do next.
0: That is just so essential to me. And it's, I I used to be, I sort of vacillated between being what I think ends up being too flexible, because it can be overwhelming. And then so much of it, we're trying to help ourselves and students unlearn what the educational system has taught them about having to check a whole bunch of boxes off and, you know, Until enough of us get together and start to really help unlearning happen en masse, that can be a real challenge. So just the the opportunity to prescribe a little bit more than some of us might by nature, such that people at least try something. And I wanted to connect it to what you said about intergenerational learning, because one of the things I have found very helpful is to invite students to answer a question as if they were talking to an eight-year-old. And that's often hard for them to do because no one has ever really asked them to sort of deconstruct this really formal language that they're reading into really simple language in order to then, you know, be able to write in that way. But I was recently rereading James Lang's small teaching because sometimes that can seem overwhelming, whether it's for the student who feels overwhelmed. I don't have time this week to interview someone. And he talks about in his book, and I had forgotten that it was in there, that we can even use imaginary audiences. So if you're gonna extend your audience and do some open education, approaches and if you feel like as a faculty member you're just not able to at this juncture get the guest speakers to come in and hear your students give presentations, could you start with an imaginary audience of an eight year old or an expert <laughs> or you know someone in the health you know healthcare context or whatever? And then eventually build your way up to actually then having those audiences be part. So I just wanted to mention you were reminding me a little bit of that. Well, is there anything else that each of you would like to share about one sort of final lesson from my Fest? I know it's not fair to ask you this because you're bursting with all these lessons, but one thing you'd each like to share before we get to the recommendation segment.
2: I'll just pick up, Bonnie, on your kind of foregrounding the intergenerational learning thing, because that was one of the like great sort of serendipitous qualities of MyFest for me was, you know, at a certain point in time, my sons participated in MyFest. And then on the latter end, my mom started attending, especially the microfiction sessions that I did with Laura Gibbs and Alan Levine. But what was so joyful about it was the serendipitous quality of the curiosity. And then the sharing of a sensibility that was so outside of the bounds of, you know, an academic frame. And when we can really start to think of the way we learn as something that's human and uh, universal and not just rooted in, you know, a university or institutional context, then we're really soaring in terms of goals and pathways for our learning, you know? So I just love that. and, And thank you for reminding me of that.
1: This actually goes really nicely into what I was going to talk about next. And Rissa reminded me of this before we started. So I agree, all learning is choose your own adventure. But then there are spaces that seem welcoming and spaces that don't, right? Yes. And so there were particular spaces in, in my fest that we called for all ages because my daughter said, I'm not a child, even though she's 11. So we didn't call it, bring your children. We called it for all ages. And that actually opened it up to also someone like Mia's his mom right of course she could have come anytime but when you call something for all ages you open it up in that way and so there were there was the mind fest that uh, our kids did with dave and there was the reader's theater where laura gibbs had written little fables as plays and children and and some someone jim stoffer brought like i don't know six grandkids into it. it was it was awesome but this this notion of intentionally equitable hospitality is when you plan something like this, yes, assume people have agency, but also assume that some people won't be as comfortable. And how can you build community throughout, not just at the beginning, not just every now and then, not just for 10 minutes at the beginning of a session, not just at the beginning of an event like, or a class, throughout.
0: You just totally helped solve a problem for me, Maha, because at my institution, I am friends with people who are single, and they talk a lot about feeling discriminated against because of that, because there's so much emphasis on families and bringing your spouse or whatever. And so I love this idea of for all ages, because to me, that can kind of, we have some community building events coming up, and and it can sort of convey what I want to convey is, which is if you have children, please, they're free to come on the hike with you. But I've been, resisting saying that you know until people ask me like oh is is the pathway of the hike you know is it suitable for a stroller you know so I'm like if I had just said all along for all ages I don't have to be unkind and unwelcoming to my single friends and colleagues while at the same time could be letting people know that their family members would be welcome so thank you for that that wording and thank please thank your daughter for that as well because that's good I'm going to be taking that lesson from today's conversation and Rissa I know you have something you'd like to share
3: well, I was just thinking about what Maha and Mia were both saying about the lessons learned and the intergenerational learning. And I, just as a side note, I just love the way that Maha absolutely effortlessly asset frames almost everything, which is a real point that is harder for me as a STEM person. But I am really grooving. I, I feel like to come full circle the personal transformation that part of the reason we did MyFest was because we needed it. And I think the personal transformation for me, which was coming out of like severe burnout and some of the pieces that I hadn't even recognized I was in, really were important while also really having a transformative effect on like, for instance, my sister's approach to her own dissertation, which was really a, a wonderful piece in terms of moving that forward into how it can be used by others in a, in a conceptual and in a tangible kind of way. So, and definitely an emotional kind of way because it's all about grief <laughs> and positive psychology. So I really, I think that tying it back to, we did this thing because we needed it. We kind of perceived that others might need it. And in that journey, actually found something fairly transformative. I think it's an important, an important lesson in terms of what could happen in your classroom as well.
0: Before we get to the recommendations segment of today's episode, which you're not going to want to miss, I just want to take a moment to thank today's sponsor, and that is Text Expander. And Hannah's here today to thank them as well. Would you like to say thank you, real quick, Hannah? Thank you, Text Expander. There we go. Hannah has not quite gotten to the point where she installs Text Expander on a new device every time she gets one, but I sure am. What Text Expander does is it allows you to create these really easy series of characters. Like for me, one that I like to use a lot are website links, L I N K, and then T I H E, automatically expands what they call a snippet, those few characters. It expands it into the full link. So I don't have to type H-T-T-P-S colon slash slash T-E-I. You get the idea. So um, it automatically allows you to super easily set up these snippets and expand them and really reduce the amount of time you have to spend doing repetitive typing. And you can even get... Essentially, what are dictionaries from other people and add them to your text expander? Some of these are as simple as autocorrect. If there are words or phrases you regularly mistype, they can fix it for you. But it really goes way beyond that. I use it a lot for fillable types of things, like the show notes for every episode always have an episode number. They always have a guest they always have a description and a date that that episode is going to publish. And essentially what I get is an on-screen fillable form that as soon as I type in that information when prompted, it fills it all in and I've got a ready-to-go, customized set of show notes to use for every episode. Text Expander has been an essential part of my productivity toolkit, and I continue to anticipate it will do so. And if you head on over to textexpander.com podcast, You can find out more about Text Expander and also receive a 20% off discount off of any subscription. So, thanks once again to Text Expander for sponsoring today's episode. And now we're on to the recommendations. Thank you all so much for those final thoughts. And this is the time in the show where we each get to share our recommendations. I have two. One of them is pretty darn silly, but I discovered that if you go, it depends on your browser, but for me, I was doing it on my phone, and if you go to your browser, just to the Google search engine, and you type in the word cat, and again, it did not work on Safari on my Mac. I'm sure it probably works in other browsers, but on my phone, I type in the word cat on the Google browser, and a little paw print shows up. And you tap on the paw print, and all of a sudden, you're going to start to get some meows going, and a little paw print's going to come up and start playing with your thing. So that's my recommendation to you is take out your phone or try it on your computer browser, see if it works, type in the word cat. And then the second thing I'd like to share, and these both are in the theme of sort of playing with technology. The second thing is I have been playing around a little bit with using video in slide decks. And one of the things you always want to be careful of is you don't want your media to create more cognitive load for people. So I learned this very early on with regard to online learning way back in the day, and it would be, you know, don't put a big distracting picture. The picture should be enhancing whatever it is you have to share, not distracting people from it. And so you got to be careful with video. But what I like about the video I've been experimenting with is it's just it's and it kind of goes back to what Mia was saying earlier of how do you get people's attention? And I loved James Lang's book, Distracted, because rather than thinking you're going to get people to pay attention 100 percent of the time, that is an impossible task for anyone to do. It's kind of just about guiding people back. And what I like about is the way that some of these slide deck programs do is the videos just kind of bringing your attention back. So I gave a talk at a conference recently, and Ma- I was so glad she was there. So she knows what I'm talking about. And it would be like my cover slide would say something about imagination. And the it's just a video of clouds going by and sort of a sunset. And it's very subtle. Like I said, not terribly distracting, but it's kind of like, wait. That slide is actually moving, and toward the end of my presentation, I just want to mention this. Um, It's actually from James Lang's book. He cited it as well, is a part of Mary Oliver's poem, Instructions for Living a Life, and she talks about pay attention, be astonished, and tell about it, which is so much of our conversation today, which is why I'm mentioning it. And then in the next slide, I read from Mary Oliver's poem, Wild Geese. And I have the words, and I'll read them in just a second, but I have the words on the screen, but very, very subtly playing behind the words are geese flying. And like I said, it's not terribly distracting, like, wait, what is going on here? But it's kind of like, oh, my gosh, she's reading words of a poem about geese, and there are geese flying in the back of the video. And I just, I thought it was so fun. I'm having so much fun playing around with this feature. And I'm just going to read the little bit of the Mary Oliver Wild Geese poem, and then I'm going to pass it over to the next person. So here is from Mary Oliver's Wild Geese. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting over and over, announcing your place, in the family of things. And I will say to my three friends joining me on today's episode, I just feel like you are so good at this, helping us be able to feel and sense and experience our place in the family of things. So thank you to all three of you for all the work that you do in doing that for us. So I am now gonna pass it over to Maha for her recommendations.
1: Uh, Thank you so much for your uh, recommendations, Bonnie. (laughs) Okay, so uh, one recommendation I have uh, which is a site I've known for a long time, but I went back to it today and I loved it so much. It's called Facing History and Ourselves. And it has a lot of really interesting resources and lesson plans about teaching about social justice and, and race and things like that. And it, it influences the way I teach my course, but I haven't looked at it in a while. And what I noticed they do now is they do something where they, they give you a lesson plan and they tell you how to do it in person and how to do it remotely, which is really nice. I think it's a new thing because of the pandemic. And it also, it reminded me of our 1HE site, which may be the last time we talked, the, the Equity and 1HE Community Building Resource site. And I also just wanted to let people that we've updated that because during my fest, a lot of participants had activities to contribute to it. So those are coming up there as well. So if you haven't been there for a while, there are no activities there. And in our conversations, a lot of times we talk about how to do it online versus Facebook. And the other recommendation I have relates to the book Emergence Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown, which I heard about around the time we were conceiving of MyFest, like just before we conceived of MyFest, and it has influenced us a lot, influenced a lot of the way we design our interaction with each other as organizers. There are 14 of us organizers from four different countries. And uh, this embracing of emergence was such an essential element of even like how we did our graphic, like our logo comes from that notion of emergence. And so if you haven't read that, if you haven't read Adrienne Marie Brown, I would definitely recommend that. And I know there's another book of hers coming up in a minute. And I have one teeny, weeny little thing that's a well-being thing that I learned about just the other day, that if you pull your elo- earlobes, you're going to feel great. And huh? I, the person who told us to do this at the beginning of a session was, was like, children already know this. So I talked to my daughter. I'm like, hey, try pulling your earlobes. She's like, yeah, I feel great. I already know that. How do you not know that? <laughs> So it It feels amazing. I'm doing it right now. And it's just, I'm going to do this in my class. Every class it just feels good. So
0: anyway. I'm laughing so hard because I always think about the number of times these days that our kids will say, mom, I already know that.
3: (laughs)
1: Okay. Oh my God. I tried to explain to my daughter today that it's not nice if she tells me, duh. (laughs) Like, that's not rude. I'm like, yeah, it is rude. Is it rude? Is
0: I will rude? I will say that when I showed one of our kids about the cat, the kid who likes cats, um, they were very surprised. So you you can get them every once in a while, but a lot of times it's like I already know that. <laughs> every once okay. in a while. Exactly. Of course you do. Exactly. <laughs> uh, it's tough. I have two teens now and it just gets more and the
2: bar gets higher and higher. <laughs> But I don't know if they know about those paws. I love that so much, Bonnie. Maybe you can and surprise picking them. up on recommendations, I will say this. First of all, uh, shout out to Mary Oliver, who is a soul sister in my heart. Um, thank you so much for bringing her up. And I often, you know, read her poems at the end of my writer's retreats, as I sort of, you know, bid adieu to my young writers who are going out into the world and and trying to sustain the practice of being a poet in the world. Because paying attention is everything, right? It's the source of, um, you know, the energy that's unique within us, centering it enough to hear the rhythm of one's heart and the 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 heartbeat of the world at the same time. So I'll just say this, that my recommendations come from MyFest. The first one is a wonderful site, like an online site called Radio Garden, and this was showcased by one of our wonderful participants called Heather Kreshner. But In Just type into Google Radio Garden. And what you can do essentially is fly around the world and land in any variety of places on the globe and listen to the radio locally. And it's just amazing. It's like traveling and, you know, kind of taking a small taste of the local culture wherever you go. It's a very... If you're curious about anything, culturally speaking, in the world, it's a wonderful tool. So that's my first recommendation. And my second recommendation comes from Christy Albright's session on renewal and taking care of oneself and that kind of thing, right? We she talked about forest bathing, the Japanese tradition of forest bathing, which is something I was kind of unfamiliar with, but realized that it's in me already. And it's just now like kind of linking it to a broader cultural practice, but it's when you essentially step into the woods and really focus on the things right under your feet or right before your nose or right you know, right next to you and you you see the vastness of the ecosystem as much as you see the very minutiae in front of you all at once. So those are my recommendations all in the spirit of the recharge and renewal theme of MyFest. So Rissa's going to end up, you know, wrap us up with her
3: recommendations. I actually have three and the first one is of course the the edited volume by Adrienne Murray Brown Holding Change, which I found many chapters that were so, so important. But Maleka's Devit sorrells chapter on grief is change was just absolutely important to me in terms of re-envisioning how ungrading can happen in the classroom and what we what kinds of grief we feel when we go towards emancipatory pedagogies. The second one is not actually from my my fest, but I actually used it a bit in my fest. It was from an NSF moment that I did that was on, it's kind of... it's called game changers the game changers academies and it was the first time that i had really looked at cognitive biases as much as i have in the past and the cognitive bias codex you can just spend hours getting lost in that and there's so many cognitive biases that you know we kind of come in and what if we don't even know that we the grades are kind of undermining the learning of our students. That is kind of how I was phrasing it. And then the last one is a personal one, which is a shout out to my sister's dissertation, which is about storytelling and grief and re-envisioning grief in terms of positive psychology. So thinking about it in terms of hope, efficacy, resiliency, and optimism. Hopefully by the time this podcast airs, we'll actually have a link for you.
0: Oh, wonderful. Well, thanks to all three of you for joining me in community once again on today's podcast and throughout the parts of my fest I've been able to guilt free participate in. And again, just thank you for what you do for the world and for higher education.
1: Thank you so much, Bonnie, for having us.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Bonnie. Um,
2: <laughs>
0: Always a pleasure. Thanks once again to Mahat Bali, Mia Zamora, and Rissa Sorensen Unruh for joining me for today's episode. Today's episode was produced by me, Bonnie Stehoviak. Podcast editing was provided by Andrew Kroger, and podcast production support by Sierra Smith thanks to each one of you for listening to today's episode. And if you would like to engage in one more way on a weekly basis with Teaching and Higher Ed, I encourage you to head over to teachingandhighered.com slash subscribe, where you can start receiving the weekly update via email. And what that will do for you is make sure that the most recent show notes with the recommendations show up in your inbox so you don't have to go looking for them. So head over to teachinginhighered.com slash subscribe and we'll see you next time on Teaching in Higher Ed.